This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 53 for September 2012, with return guest Marsha Montenegro, The Occult, part two. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for listening. This is episode 53 for September 2012. It's great to be back in studio after two months away. My guest this month is Marsha Montenegro, who was on the show in March to talk about the occult. After the last episode with Marsha, we quickly began talking about doing a follow-up to cover some of the issues we just didn't have time for last time. This time around, we got to cover some more, but we're still pressed for time. I want to thank those of you who offered questions for the show. Uh, Marsha and I solicited questions in just about every venue we could find and got some good ones. From that was born a new voicemail line for Echo Zoe. I didn't get used this episode, but if you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment for the show, you can leave it by calling 425-906-4908. Whenever possible, I'll announce guests ahead of time via Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. So you can leave your questions, which may be featured in the show. In other news, Echo Zoe Ministries is now a full 501c3 nonprofit. The day before my family left for Indiana back in July, we received a letter from the IRS informing us that we have been granted tax-exempt status. This means that all donations to Echo Zoe Ministries are now fully tax-deductible. If you'd like to know what you can do to support Echo Zoe, please check out echozoe.com support. Besides donating, there are several things listed there that you can do to help Echo Zoe, such as prayer, recommending the podcast and website to friends, or using affiliate links when shopping online. In fact, one very simple way you can help Echo Zoe financially is that if you already shop on Amazon, just go to echozoe.com slash Amazon to do your shopping. That will forward you onto Amazon with our affiliate link. Everything will be the same for you, but we will receive a commission on everything you purchase at no extra cost to you. For show notes to go along with the episode, you can visit echozoe.com slash 53. You'll find an outline of the discussion as well as a list of scriptures referenced. With that out of the way, here is my interview with Marsha Montenegro. Marsha, welcome back. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you return to talk about uh, the occult again. Thanks so much for having me back, uh, Andy. Yeah, we had a discussion back in March, episode 47. So if people haven't heard that one, uh, probably want to listen to number 47 first. Go to echozoe.com slash 47, and you'll hear the first episode that Marsha and I did on the occult. This one is a little bit of a follow-up. We had areas that uh, you, you came back kind of quick after we were done and said that there was a lot of stuff you wanted to talk about that you didn't have any time to even scrape the, the subject. So that's kind of <laughs> what this is. and. You know, um, we talked, like, right away we talked about coming back and doing a second episode, and, and I'm glad we did. I think this is a, a, a good subject and also kind of a, a good way to ease me back into podcasting after being gone for two months and back to having a, a real interview this month. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate the opportunity um, having me back and tackling some of these other issues that I think I mentioned, at least one or two of them, but... 
and maybe I made a few brief statements, but they really deserve more time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad we're going to be able to, to do that on this particular program. Well, we have a lot to cover. And um, we, we we got some help from people on the Internet and uh, people who heard the first one, friends of both of us. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions that are going to kind of fit in with the different topics that we're going to talk about today. But we have tons of material to cover. So uh, let's just jump in. I wanted to spend just a couple minutes very briefly recapping what we talked about last time. Um, you brought okay. up the – we spent most of that time talking about – the three different areas of the occult, uh, divination, spirit contact, and sorcery. Can we just briefly recap kind of what those uh, three areas in, uh, encompass? Yeah, sure. Uh, those are the three areas of the occult listed in Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, just so people have that reference again. And divination is what we usually call fortune-telling and involves either reading hidden meanings into things like tarot cards or into the planets and astrology or the lines on your hand, like palm reading. Divination can also be using some supernatural means to get information. Um, Spirit contact is sort of self-explanatory. Contact with some kind of disembodied spirit or being, uh, however you may think of that being, you may think it's an angel or a dead person or a person from another dimension or whatever, but it's a disembodied being. And then uh, sorcery. Sorcery is probably the most complex of the three, but briefly, it's a way to alter reality through various means, such as um, using supernatural forces or contacting supernatural forces uh, using uh, te- uh, techniques that you believe will will result in altering reality or using magical tools and rituals or specific rituals that go with some forms of sorcery. The sorcery is a very wide thing, but the main thing is, is that you are <clears throat> contacting, channeling, or using something to actually alter reality or manifest something in reality. So those are kind of three uh, brief overviews of those three things. And one thing you touch on a lot with, you focus on a lot with your ministry is uh, helping people to see occult themes and occult uh, teachings woven into entertainment. And we talked about it some last time, but then we had kind of some post-show questions back and forth and and you discussed how these themes come in and sometimes they're they're blatant and easy to spot but sometimes they're really subtle and i encountered that with myself with my uh i've got three young boys and trying to keep tabs on the shows they're watching and then to make things worse uh than than a normal parent my kids watch their shows in german and i don't know german so uh, i'm trying to (laughs) pick things up um, oh, wow. <laughs> or, you know, maybe find an English translate, you know, the, the original English on some things just to, to monitor a little bit. But so I, I, I'm extra careful, but I had these questions, you know, we talked about power Rangers, for instance, my son was watching power Rangers and he was kind of into power Rangers and you, you helped me a lot to see that, uh, power Rangers like is 
a lot of occult stuff to the point where I didn't realize there's many different Power Rangers series, and one of the series outside of the United States is called Power Rangers Occult Force. And here wow. in the United States it's called uh, Mystic Force, but but outside of the U.S. they call it Occult Force. And when I saw that, I thought, well, I don't need to see anything more. I mean, if they're naming one of their yeah. shows after that, I mean, that's that's all I need to see. Yeah, it's uh, pretty blatant. <laughs> <laughs> So we've we've gone through and and um, really done a a lot of work trying to monitor the shows, look them up, see what others are saying about them and stuff, watch them ourselves just to see if we can pick up on stuff. And it's still tough. I know two shows that my son, my primarily my oldest son, but but uh, all my kids are watching right now that I'm still concerned about. I still let them watch, but I I'm I'm not sure where they stand. One is called Ben Ten, and that's another show where they've I think they're on three different series. They've kind of spun it off a couple of times. And then another is Ninjago. And that one, Ninjago is like a Lego thing where they started off with these Lego characters and they turned it into a TV show. And uh, uh, like Ben 10 is a kid who, I think aliens crash and they have like this this wristband that he discovers and the wristband helps him turn into these aliens so that he can battle bad guys and stuff. And... Uh, and then Ninjago is a lot of um, well ninja type stuff. I mean, it's martial arts. It's um, there's there seems to be some like the bad guys seem to get into some of this mystic stuff. Uh, I haven't noticed again. I'm you know my kids are watching in German, so I don't pick up on a lot of stuff. But I haven't noticed so much the good guys. And that was another distinction we talked about was you know not just is it occult involved, but is it glorified? You know, if it's just the okay. bad guys. You know, maybe it's not so bad because you're painting it in a bad light. Right. I guess I, I, I'm rambling on. I was leaning into a question, but I, maybe I should just let you comment on it. Oh, um, well, you know, some things are, are just fantasy. Like, um, you know, I consider Superman, his x-ray vision, um, you know, his flying um, and his super strength, et cetera, mm-hmm. fantasy things. And I think maybe the example you gave of the band, uh, the band the, uh, little wristband yep. turning turning you into they turn them into aliens so they can fight the aliens. Is that it? Yeah, or it turns them into yeah, and it's I kind of a limited thing. You know, he might get you know I don't know. He he turns into these aliens. He fights the bad guys, and then he turns back into a boy, and then he has to wait a while before the the wristband gets the power back up to to do it again. And, so, you know, he's vulnerable there for a point in time. He can't he can't fight the bad guys when he's just a boy. Uh, I, I tend to see that as a more fantasy thing. Okay. Um, it's not, there's nothing really part of the occult that would match that, that I can think of. Sure, okay. Um, you know, just, just turning into something um, with some kind of little, you know, wristband or special thing. He's not doing an incantation um, or calling on some kind of force to do it. I mean, that would be, that would right. be, I think, would be red flags. Um, some, some parents may not be comfortable with that. So a lot of this is going to depend on, you know, when it's in kind of a gray area or an mm-hmm. area where you're not sure, a lot of this is going to just depend on the comfort level the parent has with it. If, if the yeah. parent feels very uncomfortable with it, 
then they shouldn't let their child watch it. Um, But I personally, uh, if that's basically all it is, um, and my son were, I mean, he's, you know, an adult now, but Mm -hmm. if he were, if he were at the age that you would be to watch that, I think that I would be okay with with just that. That just, that to me is, is more of a Superman type thing. Mm Mm-hmm. The other one that we've gone through and I and I feel a bit more comfortable with is, is Scooby Doo. And and that's just because, you know, I grew up watching Scooby Doo myself and it seems to be, you know, if occult stuff comes up, there's you know, there's witches and whatnot. If that comes up, it's always the bad guys. It's always painted in a bad light. And it's usually painted as kind of a, like an illusion thing, not not a supernatural thing where they're they're trying to trick people into thinking that they've got these powers when really they don't. It's just an illusion. So I, I've kind of resolved, I guess, in my own conscience that you know, Spy, uh, Scooby-Doo is is more or less fine. I, I, I let my kids watch that. Yeah, and then I know some parents that don't like Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. simply because they don't like the figures of the ghosts or witches. Sure. Um, even if they turn out to be the bad guys pretending or whatever. So yeah. there again, that's an area where, you know, we don't want to be legalistic about it. And right. I think that when it's, you know, you're comfortable with it and some parents aren't. And, um, and I've totally encountered, I've totally that encountered that too. You know, my, his cousins are not supposed to be watching Scooby-Doo and, and reading Scooby-Doo books and stuff. So when they're over, we just put it away and I don't want to strain his parents' uh, conscience. You know, if, if they have a problem with it, we put it away and we're just, you know, let it be. Right. But uh, Right. I don't want to dwell too much on that. Cause like I said, we've got so much stuff to cover, but, Christine in Atlanta actually asked uh, a question that uh, ties very closely with this. And she's wondering what you think about Harry Potter and the Twilight books and then compare that to Lord of the Rings and Narnia. Yes, and Harry Potter, of course, I I spoke about for years when um, the books were coming out. And I do have articles on all of the Harry Potter books. And I have articles on all of the Twilight books and the Harry Potter movies and the Twilight movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, no telling how many hours I spent um, uh, reading and writing about those. Uh, I would hate to even, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, my, my issues with Harry Potter, I think it's very clear cut. You have a young uh, boy uh, learning to cast spells. Um, making magical potions. Um, there's contact with the dead, which actually is actually very strong in the last book. I don't see it as a fantasy. <clears throat> it's a real thing because he he appears to have died. They don't ever, to me, make it clear whether he actually died or not, but it seems like he did. Um, and he's actually getting information from um, dead people he knew that he uses back in the in the when he comes back to the world to earth he he uses the information the information is is true and he didn't know it except mm-hmm. from these dead people so it wasn't like just his imagination and um it's presented as happening as a real thing in my opinion so anyway there are all these elements um so it's glamorizing this with yeah, and it glamorizes, it makes it look good. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, here you have a hero who's basically doing sorcery. And he's um, really the like the sorcerer's apprentice, and Dumbledore is like the, the chief sorcerer. And that's how I saw the relationship in, in the books, and it really matches 
<clears throat> that idea of a mentor helping a young um, sorcerer learn, you know, learn how to control his power and learn how to to um, handle uh, supernatural magic. So I had huge issues with the books. I did not like the idea of children reading them, and I did not like the fact that it helped to desensitize culture mm -hmm. uh, to magic because a lot of books have come out um, with the same kind of themes because of the popularity of Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. There have been many, 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 much more than there was before Harry Potter. Yeah, there were some before, but there, a lot more has come out. It opened doors for that. Uh, Twilight, um, there are some occult issues in it. I think that, um, you know, this, of course, wasn't really so much for children. This was more like, but this was really teenagers and adults who read these books. Mm -hmm. And um, there's too much romance stuff to appeal to, you know, nine or ten year olds. I think <laughs> it's, sure. it's it's not a, it's not at all like Harry Potter in that sense. Um, there was a lot of problems with it. There are some occult powers some of the vampires have. Um, some of my main issues with it were just the morbid, um, the morbid themes that you find in the books: the darkness, mm -hmm. uh, the unhealthy romance between the heroine uh, Bella and the vampire Edward. Very, very unhealthy romance where she actually tries to kill herself um, when Edward has gone away and uh, can't live without him. Uh, lies to her father, uh, lets Edward come to the room at night. And um, these books were touted uh, as being so great because the idea was, it seems a lot of Christians were saying, oh, these these stories are so great because they they don't have any intimate relations before marriage. Well, um, <laughs> well, you know, maybe technically they don't, but first of all, Bella is constantly trying to seduce Edward, and then um, he actually sleeps with her at night. This is what starts to happen, and um, I mean, this isn't a good thing to mm -hmm. promote. To especially to teenagers, and um, I certainly, uh, if I had a daughter, I would not want my daughter to see this as a, a model for a relationship. And um, I realize it's fiction and all of that, but I think it's very unhealthy. And the uh, book that that has her, the scene of the birth um, is, is is excruciatingly. Um, gory, and it's just, I don't even have the words to describe it. I was I was appalled and shocked at the language, um, and it's a very long, it goes on for a big, huge section of the book when she's in labor, and the child is kind of um, destroying her bones, her ribs, and she has to drink real blood to mm -hmm. feed her child. I mean, this is like beyond morbid. To me, this is beyond more, but this has gone into an area that I find completely and totally repulsive and unhealthy. And I don't think it's healthy to read this kind of material. It was very disturbing. Um, I only read it because of my ministry, because I was writing on the books, because people are asking me about it. I would never choose to read this mm. kind of material. And I was shocked that so many Christians thought these books were okay. I still don't understand why they think that. 
Um, the other thing is there are Mormon themes in the Twilight books because Jeff, um, Stephanie Meyer, the author, is a Mormon. And there, I did some research and found some articles written by former Mormons who were pointing out the Mormon themes in, in the books, which was very interesting. I won't go into that. Mm-hmm. But um, also the idea that Edward is, is um, treated as this sort of ideal guy, and he's a, and he's a vampire. Um, he is only drinking the blood of animals, but there is some... Um, it's seeming approval in the in the last book, I think, when some uh, vampires come to stay at the house of Edward and his clan. Uh, they say, "Well, you know, we do not we do not drink the blood of any humans. So if you're going going to do that, because these vampires that come stay there do drink the blood of humans." then you're going to have to go at least 100 miles away and do it. <laughs> and then they provide them cars. Oh. We have some cars out there, you know, in the driveway, so go get, go take a car mm. and uh, go 100 miles, and then you can kill people. And I'm thinking, boy, this is what I call a mixed message. So um, just really, uh, there's a lot of eroticism. There's mm. the uh, bloody, gory, morbid stuff. Uh just really, the whole, all the books are just un- unhealthy. Just, so then, what know, about to me? Not worth nothing redeeming. Absolutely nothing redeeming about Twilight. Sure. So then, what about uh, Lord of the Rings and, and the Narnia series? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, now, to me, okay. Now I have read Lord of the Rings. I have not read Narnia. I read the first book many, many, many years ago before I was a Christian, and I've seen a couple of the movies. So let me talk about Lord of the Rings first. Um, I did read the books and I saw the movie. Uh, first of all, those are not books for children. Um, I do not see, except in a couple of little minor scenes, I don't see anything where he makes the occult look okay. Mm-hmm. And I think in one scene where he has it, I don't know if he... I don't know if Tolkien really, you know, I think maybe to him it was more of a fantasy. The um, the elf queen, I think it is, is looking in some water, and she has a vision of something happening in the future by looking in the water. This is actually a form of divination called scrying. Um, and, you know, there was that scene and maybe one other that I can't think of um, that bothered me. Overall, the uh, there is no glorification of the occult, and Gandalf is not a wizard in the sense of being an occult sorcerer. He's more um, an angelic type being who has these inherent powers, as a, just like an angel would have. Uh, so, unfortunately, he's called a wizard, which I think is unfortunate. And apparently later Tolkien even said he regretted using that word for, for Gandalf because he thinks it was misunderstood or misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the theme, it has very strong moral themes. Now, that's what Harry Potter um, and Twilight don't have. Uh, there's an absence of um, a, a moral, you know, line between good and evil in Harry Potter and in Twilight, whereas in Lord of the Rings, there's a very strong, strong right and strong wrong, and there's a clear line between them. Uh, So that is one huge difference with Lord of the Rings and the other books. 
and I think it also shows the corruption of power. I think that's one of the main things of Lord of the Rings, that creatures, uh, which you could extrapolate to mean mankind, cannot handle, you know, power. Because right. we always we always misuse it, and which I think is a wonderful theme for discussion yeah. with um, with young people, with teenagers. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's an area you can have hours of discussion on. Yeah. Speaking of, I actually heard a. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I actually heard a, an interesting saying on. I actually read it on Twitter, um, and I totally agreed when I read it. It hit me right away that there's an old saying that power corrupts. And this guy said, no, power doesn't corrupt. Power exposes the corruption that's already there. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Something to think um, about. Sorry to interrupt. Them. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, because that's interesting. Um, yeah, so I think uh, that because of, of, of the themes, and, and, and I was okay with the books um, for teenagers and above. I think they might be a little heavy duty for younger ages. Uh, Narnia. Now, I do know some Christians are very uncomfortable with Lord of the Rings. They don't like uh, some things in the books. And here again, I say, if you are not comfortable with these books and you don't want your children or teenagers reading them, then that is your decision. And mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Uh, but I don't think that there's enough grounds. Uh, for somebody to say nobody should read Lord of the Rings. Now that's just my. That's where I'm. Once again, that's sure. Yeah, you know, I'm giving my view. Uh, now on Narnia, like I said, I haven't read, so I can't really speak from first-person knowledge from people I know who know the Narnia series very well. They feel that there is no endorsement of the occult. They feel there is the Christ figure in Aslan. And once again, I know a lot of Christians who don't like Narnia. (laughs) So um, there is a scene I know in the very last book, which I actually read this particular scene that doesn't have anything to do with the occult, where some character has worshipped another a god by another name, but God tells them, no, you were worshipping me. And there are different views on that. I I don't like that particular view. I, I, I find it very troublesome, mm-hmm. and I can't agree with what C.S. Lewis did, but I think we have to remember C.S. Lewis was not an evangelical. He was an Anglican. Right. In an earlier time of the century, uh, he was in England. Um, he was surrounded by scholars and academics. I don't know how much real biblical discipleship he had, and, I th- and he came to Christ very, very late in life. I think we have to take all that into consideration, and understand his books are are not and he also had some very flawed theology. I know he believed mm-hmm. a lot of the stories in the Old Testament were myths, you know, like Jonah and some other stories, which of course I disagree with. But I don't think that means you can't read Narnia. But however there are some people who um you know looking at the whole picture of C.S. Lewis that causes problems for them, and they so they don't want Narnia, mm-hmm. they don't want their children to read it, and there again... It well, listen to your conscience. To, so. uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm just, you know, I'm not going to say, no, you should, you should read Narnia, sure. no, you shouldn't read Narnia. So there's where I stand on that. <laughs> okay. Well, um, would you like to move on to kind of the next area? We can kind of leave the media yeah, behind. Sure. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, because there's other topics here that are yeah. very needy. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the first one up on our uh, outline that we put together for uh, that we wanted to go through was uh, New Thought, Oprah, and New Age Christ Consciousness. You wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, I actually have a YouTube video clip here that we were going to play just to kind of kick that off and discuss that subject. We're going to listen to Oprah here in just a sec. Human. Yes, I'm Christian too, and I got that a long time ago. Uh, I was, mentioned this also in this book uh, called um, Discover the Power Within You by Eric Butterworth, where he talks about the Christ consciousness. And up until then, I was like you, Margit. I thought Jesus came, died on the cross, that Jesus' being here was about his death and dying on the cross, when it really was about him coming to show us how to do it, how to be, yes. to show us the Christ consciousness that he had, and that that consciousness abides with all of us. Yes. That's yes. what I got. Yes. That's Absolutely. what I got. Yes. Thank yes. you. So there we yes. are. Yes, there's that uh, clip. I actually was watching the show when she said that. And at the time, I, uh, you know, I, I, I happened to be recording it. And I don't know why, because I didn't know she was going to say that. I guess because of the, uh, they were discussing Eckhart Tolle, I believe, mm-hmm. his books. And... I was recording it, and I heard her say that, and I transcribed it um, at, the be- at the beginning of one of my articles on Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, which is on my website. So here you have, in a nutshell, uh, basically an expression from Oprah that shows where she's coming from as a follower of new thought. Now, this is, this is why I want to discuss this, because it's very confusing to people. Some people think she's a Christian, or they say, well, she says she's a Christian, and so why does she say these kind of things? And other people um, think, well, she's a New Ager, um, so why is she saying she's a Christian? And it's all very confusing. What, what this is about is that the New Thought Movement, which started in really goes back to Emanuel Swedenborg in the 18th century, but it really took root in the 19th century and into the first, the early first part of the 20th century. And the New Thought Movement used the Bible and claimed to be Christian, and the New Thought teachers, what they were saying was that our perception of who we are and of our world is wrong. Um, we have this we, we have this idea that we're sinful, that we're born separated from God, um, and this is completely wrong. We need to discover and realize that we are really divine, we have a divine nature, and that we're all born connected to God. And once you realize that, you realize that you can have these ability you have these abilities that you can use to actually alter reality with your words and with your thinking. You have like this divine power to do this. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you're kind of godlike. And they claim that this is what Jesus came to show us. And they they actually use the Bible, believe it or not, <laughs> to, to... Misuse the Bible? You know, they misuse it, of course, it's yes. True. But they will take, you know... Uh, things Jesus said and um, out of context, and they will try to use that to prove this view. Um, and it's, it's done very cleverly. 
because, of course, at the root of all of these false teachings is is Satan, mm-hmm. who is very, very clever and knows how to deceive and knows how to twist God's Word. And so people who follow false ideas seem to have a talent for this. And it's uh, very confusing to people, because here people are quoting the Bible, and yet they're saying, well, no, you really have these godlike powers. And so they claim Jesus came to show us that we are thinking wrongly. We have wrong thinking, and he came to to model for us this new way of thinking, and that's why it's called new thought, because we are supposed to to have this uh, realization of this new way of thinking. And once you do that, you're kind of in this zone where you can attain Christ consciousness. So Jesus was a man, like all of us. He was not the unique Son of God. He was, he was just like us, except he was more advanced spiritually. And he was able to do these things like walk on water and heal people because he, he was in this zone of Christ consciousness. And Christ consciousness is a state of awareness of your inner divinity and your ability to do these things that you believe and that you think. And that's why, but yet you're, you're Christian. So they, they believe this is really true Christianity. So that's why Oprah says she's a Christian. She really thinks she is because she thinks this is Christianity because she was very influenced by that book she mentions on the clip you played. Um, it's a book by Eric Butterworth, who was a unity minister called Discover the Power Within. I actually have that book, and I've read parts of it. It's very, very new thought. Mm-hmm. Now, unity is unity is one of the churches that came out of the new thought movement, um, so is the Christian Science Church and the Church of Religious Science. They all came out of New Thought. Now, they're, they all have their own peculiarities. Christian Science is the most different one because Mary Baker Eddy put her own spin on things in Christian Science. And Christian Science is actually very much like a Hindu worldview where everything is divine mind. And you have to get in tune with that and the reason you're sick and reason that you are fearful or hurt yourself is because you are forgetting that everything is divine mind. Pain Mm. and evil and sin don't really exist. So she kind of took it to an extreme. That also exists to a certain extent in the other two, Unity and Church of Religious Science, but maybe not so extremely expressed. Mm -hmm. And so Christ consciousness is a very big theme in New Thought. And the New Age movement, which was really um, a separate kind of movement, taking a lot from Eastern religions, although some of the people in New Thought took from Eastern religions, but it kind of was moving along a parallel track. But the New Age did take a lot of New Thought teachings, like the Christ consciousness and affirmations and a lot of things from New Thought. And so a lot of New Age stuff sounds like New Thought because it's, it's, it's taking from it, but they are still two separate movements. Hmm. And also I should mention Unity 
um, I don't know when this started, but at least for several years, they claim they are not part of the New Thought movement. Um, uh, for some reason, they don't want to be identified with New Thought, but that's where they came from. Hmm. <laughs> and um, so it's it's very confusing because there's no real clear lines drawn anywhere. And someone like Oprah, uh, who was very influenced by Eric Butterworth and has some very strong New Thought beliefs, I think also has some New Age type beliefs. So in some sense, she could be called New Age. Um, I don't know how much of a New Ager she really is because I'm not familiar with all of her beliefs. She mm -hmm. certainly has uh, had a lot of New Age authors on her show and has promoted them. So, But that's because New Thought is very compatible with New Age. So she definitely has a very distinct New Thought influence and way of thinking especially because she calls herself a Christian. A lot of New Agers um, do not even try to call themselves Christian. You know, they don't, um, they just, they'll say, no, I'm not a Christian. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. they, they don't, they don't pretend to be a Christian. I know when I was a New Ager, I didn't say I was a Christian. So when someone seems to be in the New Age and calls themselves a Christian, it might be because they're in this new thought type thinking. There are people who are New Agers who just redefine Christianity and say they're a Christian. Yeah. But I think Oprah's doing it because of this New Thought thing and because um, Unity, for example, claims to be practical Christianity. Hmm. And uh, they say, well, we take the principles of Christianity and we make them practical. So they become can become part of your practical everyday life. Of course, the way they're looking at it is these are tools you can use to, you know, be who you're really supposed to be and um, have this Christ consciousness thing. So uh, they don't say that in so many words, but that's the basic message. Okay. I'm sorry to, to, to just want to jump on, but um, I still have, like we said before, a lot of stuff to cover. Yes. Yeah, that's, that was a big topic, so I'm glad, I'm glad that we got to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, therapeutic touch. Could you talk a little bit about therapeutic touch? And it's connection yeah, to the occult? And... Yes, therapeutic touch is really nothing more or less than psychic healing. This is the okay. way psychics heal and witches heal. And let me explain what it is because a lot of people may not know. People who are nurses are probably familiar with this. And I think a nurse asked. asked yeah, why don't I read that question? This. Yeah, um, yes, read your question. This was uh, Deborah on Facebook, and she asked. As a nurse, there have been CEs, continuing ed educations, and articles on therapeutic touch. It has been a few years since this first came up in the nursing profession, and then I never heard of it any more about it. I know as a nurse the importance of a patient developing trust in me and my touching him or her in the administration of their care is a normal thing to me, not something I have to learn to be instructed in as therapeutic touch. It seemed kind of silly to me when I first heard of it. I, it may go, go much deeper in the course of material, with the hidden concepts of a cult. Please comment. Yes, and here's where um, therapeutic touch is misleading. It actually does not involve touching. So it doesn't have, the way it sounds, it sounds like you're touching someone maybe um, to help heal them or to show them that you care, to make them feel better if they're feeling, you know, bad in their illness, etc. Hmm. But it is not actually, it actually does not involve touch. Therapeutic touch comes straight out of the occult organization, the Theosophical Society, which was founded in the 1800s by a woman named Madame Blavatsky. 
And uh, what happened is, is a woman in the Theosophical Society had a friend who was a nurse, and she showed her this method of healing, which is holding your hands above, um, a few inches above the person's body, and usually you scan the body and you stop at points where you feel, um, I'm not sure if it's hot or cold or both, but you feel something going on somewhere, and then you 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 hold your hands there and you draw out that negative energy and then sometimes they will turn and actually cast it aside like like you do if you have water on your hands and then come back and channel in healing positive energy into that area and or they'll just hold their hands over certain spots for a while where they feel that it needs healing and um, I had psychic healing done to me when I was in the new age and I have seen pictures of people doing therapeutic touches, exactly the same thing. It has the same philosophy. Um, and here's this woman from the, from the Theosophical Society teaching it to this nurse, who then went on to, to show other nurses. And eventually it got into the nursing community back in the 90s. And it became very popular where a lot of nurses just really got into this. And some patients in hospitals will ask for it, and they allow, or at least some hospitals will allow someone to come in and do therapeutic touch on the patients. Um, I had some, um, I was an astrologer, and I had some clients um, who were nurses and midwives, and they told me they use therapeutic uh, touch. They use, I don't think they use that word, but they use the same kind of energy healing on people. Uh, so basically, this is a form of energy healing, which is part of the New Age, but the technique is actually an occult technique hmm. because you are channeling or manipulating an unseen and unquantifiable energy or force. You wanted to get into wellness? Yes. Uh, let me say one more quick thing about therapeutic touch. Um, I, 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 need, I should say this. Um, I personally do not think any anybody should have therapeutic touch done to them. Sure. So if they are asked, you know, by someone if they're in a in a situation in, in a hospital or maybe even physical therapy, and the nurse or whoever's treating them says, you know, um, I'm going to do this special energy healing, or they may not say anything. They may just start, you know, saying, I'm going to do something here and hold their hands over you. And um, if you wonder what that is, you should ask, and then you should say, I would really prefer that you not do that. I mean, just speak mm -hmm. out. Don't You don't have to let somebody do something to you you don't want them to do. Right. So I, I think most of these people who do energy healing end up having spirit guides, whether they want to or not, mm -hmm. and spirit guides are fallen angels. Right. And really, I don't want someone trying to heal me who has a bunch of fallen angels around them. So no thanks. Yeah, well said, yeah. <laughs> You also want to talk about wellness. I've got some questions, but maybe I'll let you just jump in. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me talk about the concept of wellness first because um, I'm not necessarily uh, going to – I might refer to it in answering some of the questions under this, mm -hmm. this area, but wellness needs to be talked about because I am seeing this word now everywhere. It's becoming yeah, very it popular. Insurance companies are using it. It yeah. started a number of years ago and I actually wrote a note on Facebook about it. I think I need to look when I wrote it. I think maybe it was two years ago. But I had been mentioning it in some of my talks um, you know, several years ago and trying to 
give people a heads up on it. The concept of wellness comes from the New Age, and it what it means, it doesn't just mean, well, you're healthy, you're free of illness. It means that you have to do active participation in your ongoing health, but this uh, concept of health is body, mind, and spirit. So it includes the spiritual dimension of the person. So Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, it depends on who you ask. If you're going to ask a new ager, their concept of your spirit and spiritual self is going to be extremely different from the Bible. Right. What the Bible tells us is, is our spirit, spirit, you know, and what what is the spiritual self. So you're dealing with a concept of spirit. Most people who are into the wellness and who are promoting it are not going to have the biblical concept of spirit. It's a very new age type concept uh, and it can it can be a big range of things but here you have somebody who wants to either give you advice on how to have wellness and be healthy or they're um, actually treating you and they are coming from a worldview that is basically new age even if they don't know it because they have this body, mind, spirit concept. So wellness can include, um, it can also go beyond yourself and include the environment. So it can include environmental taking care of the earth. Sure. Um, because wellness has to be, uh, ha- can't just be individual. It has to be your part in the community. It can be community mm-hmm. activity. And the reason I say this is because I have this from two people, one of them a good friend, who showed me, um, she emailed to me these questionnaires from the insurance company um, that she has She has insurance with her husband's employer. And they're having to undergo uh, answering all of these questionnaires, and then they're, they, they give themselves points according to their answers. And these points have to be submitted. And then the insurance company decides how to rate you, which is going to affect what you pay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of the questions that she sent me included very personal questions, as well as uh, questions like, do you recycle all your, you know, Coca-Cola cans? Do you... um, do you take your recycling to a special recycling place? Do you do anything for the community? Um, are you aware of efforts to combat pollution? I mean, this is, these are the questions she had, have, to answer, yeah. she had to answer. Health insurance. Very should, invasive. Right. Should have nothing to do with Very health insurance. Invasive. No, <laughs> no, nothing to do with health insurance. Very invasive. Um, and another person told me there was a similar situation. Also, I heard from another person that they were having, um, this person had a serious illness and they were being required by the insurance company to get counseling from some kind of coach, a wellness coach, who was going to counsel them, a wellness coach. So we have the new age really invading big time. In, into the health field, and now it's affecting insurance. Mm-hmm. The city of Chicago recently put in place something for their employees that it re- that includes this concept of wellness, and they will have to submit themselves to the wellness programs and questionnaires, or they will have to pay fifty dollars 
I think, a month wow. to not do it. So this is going to come down to not just your privacy being invaded, but to to your money, where you either may not have the option unless you don't want to have the insurance or the job, wow. or you may have to pay extra if you don't want it. Yeah, and I was so thinking that sounds a, a lot like the that sounds a lot like the the Muslim world where they'll let you you know if you live in a Muslim country you can get away with that, with not converting to Islam, but then you got to pay a higher tax. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's a, it's a so, similar idea. Yeah, convert to, and, to convert to New Age, and if you don't, then we'll charge you this fifty dollar tax. We'll charge you more for yeah for your insurance. So, mm-hmm. you know, this. Um, I hope somebody maybe you know challenges it constitutionally, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I think it's very unconstitutional. Well, especially but, in a, a public I, employer like a city of Chicago. Yes, yes. But uh-huh. see, this is happening, and because people had been. So desensitized to the new age. The new age has invaded our has invaded our society. Has it's, mm-hmm. it's been there for several years, and people are de- are so used to thinking that way that this doesn't seem wrong to them. I, you know, I was going to ask that. I've I've heard this. Uh, you know, I've been out of the corporate world for a while, but I've heard this being you know kind of encroaching on the corporate world. And is is that the method by which it's entering is through the insurance? Those, they're the ones providing the insurance. Well, it's the insurance companies that are doing this. Now, I don't know if the, the employers are requiring it or if it's the idea of the insurance companies. That I'm you know, not sure. They get discounts if they have you know, morning yoga or something? I, I don't know. I can't, huh. be, I can't answer that specifically because okay. I don't know specifics except from what I was, I was shown from these forms from my sure. friend and what I've been told by a few people. I brought this up on, on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, on two different page, pages. And I had comments from people, and that's where I learned uh, some of these other things, like the person having to go to a wellness coach, okay. and or it was her husband who had to do it. I can't remember now, but that was a requirement of the insurance company from the employer. And so, um, how who is putting it in place and directing it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I had some questions here, and I didn't know where to put them, so I stuck them with wellness. I hope they fit, you know, relatively well, but. The first one was, okay. uh, I'm going to summarize a question. It was a rather lengthy question, but Sarah here in Minnesota asked uh, about yoga. And she said, is it ever okay for a Christian to do yoga? Can it be done just for exercise, as in P90X or other programs? And how does one tell one's Christian friends why one is not doing yoga and defend this position? Yeah, and there's um, yeah a lot in there. Now, yoga is incorporated in some in some things like this uh form of workout called P90X, which I actually looked at um, a while ago. Someone asked me about it, and it had some New Age elements in it. So okay. I, I basically advised them that I, I would not want to do it myself. Um, now, yoga itself, um, I've had to take a position on that for many years. I have several articles on yoga on my website. I think I'm up to five articles now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, Yoga just simply cannot be separated from its spiritual um, roots, which which is Hinduism. Yeah. And yoga is the the yoga. When people ask about it, they're usually thinking of the physical yoga, where you put your body in certain positions. And because there's actually several types of yoga, but Hatha yoga and Hatha, by the way, means sun and moon, and it represents the fact that in the physical hatha yoga, you were doing things 
to help unite the sun and moon energy of the body, which represent um, kind of polar opposites, kind of like yin and yang. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you have the sun side and the moon side and energies. And by doing the breathing exercises, which are a part of yoga and are called pranayama, although they may not use that word, um, and by doing certain of the positions, you are helping to harmonize these energies. So the whole purpose of it, you know, right away is is uh, some kind of spiritual or energy purpose. And then many of the positions, uh, the asanas, actually honor various Hindu gods. I personally see Hatha Yoga as a form of, of Hindu worship. Mm-hmm. And well, that's from what I understand. Even to, the the Hindu the yogis will say that. I mean the the they're the swamis or the you know the the uh-huh. clergy of Hinduism will tell you that you know you're you're doing a spiritual thing that this can't be separated from from Hinduism. Yes, actually, that's very true. And a lot of of Hindus are very upset that in this country we tried to do it as just a physical exercise, mm-hmm. and they say, "Well, that's but that's not what it is." And um, so it might I be like a. Think it might, it might be like a new ager coming into our church and taking communion and trying to say, well, I, it has nothing to do with Christ. I'm just going through the motions of eating bread and drinking wine. I mean, it... yes, yes, exactly. In fact, I have a friend, um, uh, Bill Hansberger in Denver, who says that the Lord's Supper is to Christianity as yoga is to Hinduism. Ah. That's, that's, a, that's a quote from him, from Bill. Well, I didn't know that quote and... when I said that, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's why I was amazed when you said it. I thought, well, maybe I said that to Andy before. <laughs> no, but, you didn't. Um, I don't think I did. <laughs> well, I'm glad somebody reinforces that thought. I guess. <laughs> yeah, you. So you, you definitely were just, uh, just confirming what Bill has. Mm-hmm. has I've heard Bill say, and so yoga itself has a spiritual dimension. You can change the the names of the positions. You can. Say you're just doing it now. If you're just moving and you're not doing the breathing and you're just moving any and you're not trying to get the positions exactly right, the positions actually are supposed to be done very carefully and in mm-hmm. very specific ways. Um, then, then the question becomes: Are you really doing yoga? Right. You know, then it's then don't call it yoga because then it's not yoga. If you're just you know, doing an approximate thing. And a lot of people say, well, I'm stretching, so am I doing yoga? I'm like, you know, it's actually difficult to do the yoga asanas. They aren't easy. They really have to be done a certain way, and I really don't think you can do any of them accidentally. Even the the corpse position isn't Mm -hmm. done accidentally. There's a certain way that you do it. So um, these positions are designed in a certain way, and they are also designed to induce a meditative state because the whole purpose of Hatha Yoga is, number one, to prepare you for the more advanced forms of, of yoga where there's deeper states of meditation. So you have to learn to have your bodies in, in certain positions for a long time. And um, number two, to eventually realize that you are not your body and you are not, you know, you are not Andy, you are not Marsha, you are not Nancy or whoever. You are actually the Atman which is the divine self within, Hmm. and everyone has this Atman in Hinduism, and you are to realize that's your true self. And and all forms of yoga are designed to help you come to that particular understanding. So um, that's yoga itself. Now, if it's in other programs, I think you get into more gray areas 
Um, I know Pilates uses some yoga positions, but as far as I know, and I don't know this for sure, I don't think they do the breathing um, or at least the yogic breathing. It's kind of mixed in with other things. I personally, I don't know myself that I would be comfortable, but I don't think that's quite the same as doing yeah, I don't know anything yoga. about them either, but I've I've heard people say that if you want to do something in that realm, that they would recommend doing Pilates over yoga or some of this other stuff. And uh, okay, but but I don't know. I mean, like, again, this is like I can't even remember who said these things, so I can't. Well, I, can, I can't say I'm going to endorse it personally. I can give you the information. I can give sure. you the information that you don't have because I I have it. Uh-huh. I can tell you. <laughs> um, Pilates. Um, originally was designed by a man named Joseph Pilates, and it was to develop the core of the body. Now, let me say this. Around the time he did this, there was a lot going on in the exercise and health field. There was this huge, I think, along with the development of science and more knowledge about the body and the development of medicine in the late 1800s, around the turn of the century, there was this humongous interest in the body and in health. That's when Kellogg came along. Um, Kellogg was a Seventh-day Adventist who did not eat meat, and that's why he came invented cereals. I I don't think a lot of people know that. Uh Uh, um, That one came out of nowhere. um, yeah, and um, <laughs> and there was a lot of people. There was the Alexander Technique, and I think Feldenkrais was around the thing. And all these people had theories about the body, including Joseph Pilates, that are not necessarily scientifically based. It was just their understanding of how the body worked. And mm-hmm. they said, okay, this is how I see the body working, and this is what I see you can do to help it work better and to give you better health. So uh. they, they're not necessarily right. So just because there's people doing Pilates, it doesn't mean Pilates. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do, sure. but it doesn't mean it's the best thing to do. Right. Now, originally, what what Joseph Pilates did was these very strenuous exercises using machines to develop the core of the body. If you were doing real Pilates, you were having to use machines, and it is very, 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 very hard to do. I knew a young woman um, in her mid-20s who was doing the, the real Pilates. She was very athletic, one, one of the strongest women I've, I've ever known. She's just very strong and healthy, and it wore her out. So if you're really doing Pilates, and, you, and I would say if you're over 35 or 40, unless you're extremely fit, you're not going to be able to yeah. do it. <laughs> so um, Pilates is very – the real Pilates is difficult. Now, what happened is, is Pilates got popular – uh, the yoga teachers wanted to jump on the Pilates bandwagon. So they started teaching Pilates. And because they started teaching Pilates, they started blending it with yoga. Uh, so unfortunately, a lot of Pilates classes are taught in yoga studios or by yoga teachers, and it, and it is mixed in with yoga. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I tell people, if you want to take Pilates, make sure it's Pilates and that you're using machines because that's the real Pilates. Okay. Well, um, I want to try to fit this on a CD when we're done. And so if we did, in order to do that, we got about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes left. Um, oh so, my goodness. <laughs> so we're going to keep, keep moving. In fact, I'm going to skip some questions here, but I will, I'll take one okay. more of the, of the wellness questions before we move on. Another one from uh, Christine in Atlanta. Uh, she asked about homeopathy. Uh, she's got friends who are, she said, very discerning friends who are taken in by homeopathic remedies. Uh, can you talk about homeopathy? 
Yes, homeopathy is based on the concept of vitalism, which was a actually a part of New Thought in the 1800s, or New Thought used vitalism, and this is a belief in an energy or force in the body, and even in plants, um, which is where um, the box flower remedies idea comes from. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, this vital energy, and they believed that you could take, uh, first of all, they believed that the way to treat an illness was to give you something that would mimic uh, the symptoms of the illness. But, but what they would do is take the product, uh, the herb or whatever that they thought they needed to use to treat you, and they dilute it with a liquid. And then they dilute it again, and then they and they shake it up each time, and then they dilute it, and they shake it up, and then they take some of that, mix it with more liquid. So each time it gets more and more diluted until you basically have nothing of the original product left. Okay. You just have the liquid. But they believe because they've shaken it each time that the energy has gone out into the liquid. Okay. When it, so you have to believe in this invisible energy and vitalism which is a totally um, anti-biblical concept. This Mm. is a concept from the world of the occult. Mm. Uh, Just like the therapeutic touch with the energy healing, this is the same thing except it's supposedly being dispersed through the water by shaking the water. And they have a special word for it. I can't think of right now that for the shaking of the of the well, the liquid or whatever they're using. Uh And so you end up basically without even the product. And the reason I think some people think that it works is you always have the placebo effect. Yeah, I could be. Um, if you think it's something that's going to help, you have people just naturally getting better anyway, but they'll say it's because they took this remedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, people can believe things that don't work. I have no trouble at all. You know, let me tell and, you. you know, that doesn't. That doesn't. That doesn't concern me because yeah. I know that's what homeopathy is based on. So well, I was there. glad this. I was glad this question was asked because, as a son or as a father of a of, of a son who has brain cancer, and uh, going through what we went through to d- decide if we were going to go get radiation treatments in Indiana over July and August, uh, you know, all the things involved in his treatment, uh, we would. I mean, people. It's like, you know, they say that when you win the lottery, you get uh, strange uncles come out of the woodwork. When you know, when you have a child with cancer, people with homeopathic remedies come out of the woodwork. I mean, it's amazing all the people coming up with, you know, this thing that has a hundred percent cancer cure rate and that thing with a hundred percent cure rate, and you know, you wonder why anybody has cancer anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, because if these things were so great and they really worked, man, they would be somebody would would snatch those up and get a copy well, yeah, I mean, or whatever you do and be selling it like hotcakes. Well, yeah, in, in every one of the stories, they always tell you that the government's trying to shut this down, that while well, this method yeah. was working, but the government's trying to shut it down because they are in the in the back pocket of the pharmaceutical industries and, you know, they got to try to protect their uh, political campaign money, you know, because they're the ones that are funding the campaigns and stuff. And in every one of these, you, you know, it's just, it's always the government shutting them down, and I always wonder, well, you know, the United States is only one country on planet Earth. You'd think somewhere on Earth the government wouldn't care two wits what you do to try to cure your cancer, and in that country they would prove this to work. But, you know, you just don't hear those stories. You don't hear, you know. Well, well why don't the pharmaceutical companies take this stuff and manufacture it? If exactly, it's so wonderful. yeah. 
That's, um, I mean, there, well, they'll say they want there. They'll, they'll say, well, if you, if they heal you, then you won't be buying any more drugs from them because you'll be healed. You know? Oh, okay. <sighs> yeah. See, the, the, whenever you have a basis of something, uh, it, based on a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And that's what know, it is. Then, it's... Then, then you've got something that probably, um, isn't based on anything factual. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a lot of this alternative healing is associated with conspiracy type theories about the yep. drug uh the pharmacy industry and everything i i know they aren't perfect and i know they do sure. try to foist a lot of drugs on people but that doesn't mean this stuff is okay you know the, the the pharmacy company could be the most corrupt organization on earth but that doesn't mean that homeopathy is okay because i just described it now if anybody wants to say any christian wants to say they're going to accept that then I have to say you you apparently don't know your Bible very well. Um, you know, I can see mm-hmm. a New Ager accepting it. Homeopathy is big in the New Age. What I'm seeing is a lot of stuff that a lot of the alternative healing that was huge in the New Age. And I worked for a while in a new vegetarian New Age health food store in Atlanta, and I saw all this stuff starting in 1980, and now it's out in the mainstream world and Christians are using it. I'm not saying all of it is bad. But right. This stuff based on energy is 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 part of the world of the occult. Mm-hmm. And I can say um with no hesitation that Christians should not be uh should not be part of anything that is based on a view of energy. Mm-hmm. Well in order to keep the ball moving and we're like like I said before, we're down to about eight to twelve minutes left. Um, we have one last area we wanted to touch on, and that was meditation. And then we had some general questions that if we have time, I'd like to get to. But um, well, there was one question under meditation, but I'll let you um, maybe kick it off with what you wanted to talk about before I get to that question. Yeah, I want to quickly mention muscle testing because that was a question on yeah. that. And it's also called applied kinesiology where mm-hmm. you hold something and then someone um, you know, they, that's the way to determine either what you need to take. You know, you hold a, a certain vitamin in one hand and then they push down your arm with the other and then they determine how, with your resistance, what you should take or not take. Um, this is, this is not based on anything scientific or medical. This is really, I consider it a form of divination because you're getting an answer from, uh, your body. I mean, your body doesn't know what you're holding in your hand. You could be holding a can of Pepsi, you know, mm-hmm. or you could be holding a jar of vitamin C. You know, you're, it, right. it's just crazy to think that, I mean, this muscle testing was very big in the New Age. I had it done on me um, a few times at that health food store I mentioned. And when I discovered after um, becoming a Christian that Christians were doing this, at first I didn't believe it. I thought, no, it can't be. And no, yes, it, it was happening, unfortunately. So muscle testing has no basis in reality, in truth. It is really a form of, of, of occult divination. No one should be doing it. So we can move on from there. I had to say something about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of the questions. I do remember reading something about muscle testing, so thank you. Um, but meditation, uh-huh. uh, you wanted to talk briefly on meditation? Yes, um, of course, biblical meditation is pondering and reflecting on God's Word. You know, it's it's uh, reading and studying His Word, applying, you know, looking at Scripture. It's mm-hmm. actively using your mind. You can be reflecting on it, but that is still using your mind. 
but the way the word is used uh, now, it's really more usually referring to a form of Eastern meditation, which involves sometimes sitting in a certain position, breathing slowly, um, and trying not to think. Emptying the mind, uh, and right. certain, Emptying the mind, although they may not use that term. That's why I don't right. say that, because it's not always emptying the mind. Sometimes it's visualizing something. Um, you can look at, at a gaze at a mandala, and that is a form of meditation, but you're not really emptying your mind in, in the way most people think of it. You're looking at the mandala, um, or maybe even focusing on that while well, you are focusing on it. So the, the idea is not so much emptying your mind as it is to stop the thinking process in some way, and this puts you in a uh, state of light hypnosis or a light trance state, also called an altered state. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that state, you're aware of where you are and who you are. It's not like you're out of it, but your thinking process is not working properly and your critical thinking skills are gone and you, your mind is open up to whatever wants to come in. And you also can feel very, very peaceful when you're in that state. Therefore, uh, if you're a Christian doing this, you might think that you're feeling the presence of God or you might think God's even speaking to you, you're going to interpret it as something from God because you might feel peaceful and you're going to connect that to the idea that you're really, you know, having having some special moment with God or something. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have special experiences with God, but when they happen, they should be a result of what the Lord has shown that we do. We pray um, we we study God's word, we worship, you know, we sing praises to the Lord, we thank him. And through those processes, you can have wonderful experiences of feeling close to the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when you try to do something to bring it about, and it's based on a technique like these Eastern forms of meditation, you are not getting close to the Lord. You are, you are conjuring up an experience that makes you feel like you are, but it's very, very deceptive, and you can get addicted to these experiences to the point where you want to do these more than read the Bible or more than praying. Mm -hmm. And I did Eastern meditation for a number of years, and the problem is is that, okay, a lot of Christians aren't going to go somewhere and have a Buddhist show them how to meditate. So they're going to think, well, I'm never going to do that because I'm not going to do Buddhist or Hindu meditation. But the problem is, The techniques of Hindu and Buddhist meditation are now disguised um, in Christian terms and usually called contemplative prayer. It's spreading. I just read some articles yesterday on how it's spreading through a lot of churches. And contemplative prayer, which sounds okay, is actually based on these techniques of sitting still, breathing a certain way. Sometimes they tell you to choose a word or phrase from the Bible, and re- either repeat it in your mind or maybe say it under your breath. And you do this either over and over, or if your thoughts stray, you're supposed to say it. And you're supposed to get to this place of of this this stillness and calmness, so you can, usually they say, so you can hear God. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no biblical basis for this. They misuse Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God, which I believe is the King James language. The NAS uh, has it as cease striving. Psalm 46 is a rebuke from the Lord telling um, 
Israel and the other nations to realize who's in charge. It's kind of like the Lord is saying, all of you people squabbling down there, you've forgotten who's in charge. And um, Spurgeon even says that God is saying, shut up (laughs) and listen to me. That's how he puts it. So it's like, be quiet and stop all this squabbling and this confusion and remember that I'm in charge. That's what the be still, know that I am God is. is. Mm -hmm. It's not to sit still and then have some kind of mystical experience. So this mysticism coming into the church um, which I, I didn't have time to go to trace its origins, but I have an article on it on my website, which is ChristianAnswersForTheNewAge.org, and I have all the information there. And um, we, uh, I'll get that from you when we're done, and then uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. So um, we'll try to go back over that as best we can and, and catch all these articles that you've mentioned, and we'll put them in the additional resources section. Because we are just about out of time, I'm going to skip to the last question that we had. Okay. Um, okay. Patrick asked, how do we get other Christians to be interested enough to care about opposing New Age practices and teachings in the church? It seems to me that if the topic comes up and I oppose it, I get looks and comments like I'm from another planet. Yes, and I want to encourage Patrick and others to... um continue speaking out even though people may think they're, you know, being strange or going overboard because um, I think what we can say is, because uh, a lot of people will say, oh, you're overreacting, you know, or, oh, I would never do that, or the Holy Spirit gives me discernment. So, you know, I think one thing I, I point out to people, because it's very biblical, is that most of the New Testament uh, letters to the churches um, and, and the letters to Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, were warning against false teachings. And, well, Timothy tells him to over and over again, hold to sound doctrine. But a lot of the New Testament was written because of false teachers coming into the church. You have the Judaizers in Galatians. You have some of the ascetic teachings in Colossians. You have the reference to the worship of angels. You have the Gnostic uh, teachings coming into the church that First John refers to in the very first chapter where he says, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched with our own hands, the word of life we have seen, we have touched, we have heard. He repeats it like three or four times because he's saying, we saw Jesus, he really was a man, he was in a human body because the Gnostics were teaching that he wasn't in a real human body. So there's so many warnings in the New Testament to Christians about false teachings and telling them not to be deceived. We see that in 1 Corinthians where Paul, I can't remember now if it's first or second, where he says, I'm afraid that the way Eve was, you know, beguiled by the serpent, you too are giving yourself over to this deception. That's a paraphrase. Mm -hmm. So over and over again, it shows, God shows us that Christians can be deceived or he wouldn't have so many warnings in there. So that's the first point I would say Patrick and others could make. The Bible shows Christians can be deceived. Look at the, look in Jude where it says, He's writing at the beginning. It's one of the first several verses, and he says, "You know, I am right. I am going to have to write to warn you about these uh, false teachers who have crept in unnoticed." And that's a very important point. They crept in unnoticed. They weren't noticed. People couldn't tell. 
um, wolves in sheep's clothing. That means they're going to look like Christians. They're going to they're going to look okay, or they're going to look like they believe the Bible, and they and they certainly may think they believe the Bible, but their teachings are going to be false. So the new age um, out in the world, of course, is something to be aware of, and then the new age creeping in the church is something to be aware of. So I think Patrick can say the Bible's warning us, you know, that there is deception. And the other thing I like to say is that. Uh, the New Age is not just a false teaching. It's not just that it's wrong. It's not even just that it's against the Bible, although all of those points are very important. But we have to remember that what's behind the New Age is the enemy, the enemy who hates Christ, who will twist God's Word, who will do anything to deceive. He's totally opposed to Christ, of course, and he will do anything to deceive. And so we have to remember that there's a spiritual dimension to the New Age, that it is a spiritual battle. So we should not, you know, be afraid of it, but we should not take it lightly. You know, we need to remember to be grounded in God's Word and, um, you know, to be vigilant and sober-minded and and to keep going back to the Lord's Word. And that's how we can help arm ourselves against uh, deception. Well, thank you very much. Um, normally at the end, I like to ask if there's anything else you'd like to throw in, but we are really out of time. And, um, yeah, we're at 75 minutes and that gives me, uh, just a few minutes to do all the you know intros and conclusions and, and, uh, the other stuff that is involved with putting an episode together. But, um, okay. so Marsha, okay. I, I, I'm very, very thankful to you for um, not only doing an episode, but returning and doing a second with me and, and fielding questions from uh, people on Facebook and email and whatnot. Um, I mean, that was really a nice uh, addition to this episode. I don't normally do that, but it was fun. I like uh, letting listeners jump in with uh, some of their questions, and this was the perfect way to do it. So, Yes, I think that was good because for... Every person asks a question, it means there's a lot more people with the same question. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that was a, a very good good idea. All right. So I will um, definitely put uh, links to your articles and your ministry in the show notes. Um, check the additional resources at the bottom. We'll have some of those articles. Of course, your ministry was Christian's, Christian Answers for the New Age, and you're on okay. Facebook. Thank you. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's fine. Thank you so much for for having me do this. I really really enjoyed it, and it went by very very fast. It I, did. I felt like that was about a half hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, my timer here says an hour and seventeen so far, and uh, you know I'm not sure exactly how that translates because you know there's there's a little bit of stuff cut out uh, in the editing process, but um, we're we're pr- probably pretty close to that. Okay, but, uh, great, great. Well, thanks so much, Andy. Well, the pleasure Thank was mine. Thank you. Well, that wraps up episode 53. Thanks again for listening. You can find show notes, including a detailed outline of the discussion, references to scriptures mentioned in the show, and additional resources, including links to Marsha's articles, by going to echozoe.com slash 53. Lord willing, we'll be back again next month for the October episode. 